Hi, you're now listening to a sermon from Harvest Community Church in Hoffman Estates, Illinois. We're happy to bring you sermons like this one every week. You can find other sermons at our site at harvest-community.org. So without further ado, here's our speaker. I need confidence. I don't need a confidence monitor. Um, well, um, let's see. Um, the first thing I wanted to do is say, wow, what a privilege it is to be back home. Uh, I, I really uh, can't get over uh, how many relationships have been built over the past 11 years. Um, I wanted to start, if I could, uh, will this work? I wanted to start um, by saying this is uh, my family. They couldn't be here today. Uh, there's a piano recital uh, just right in the early afternoon. And uh, I just want to say that uh, Jenny and my children uh, send their warmest um, and for those of you that don't know us, um, this is my wife um, and um, our five children. Uh, my wife, uh, if you're playing the Asian guessing game, um, is Filipino. Okay, uh, with my name being uh, Polish, and, you've, if, and if you know me, you've heard me say many times that we make Polipinos. Um, so, this is our Polipino crew. Uh, we we always look this happy and shiny, um, just like on Facebook and other social media outlets. Um, but if you come over to our house on every given any given day, um, you can be faced with these mugs, okay? And uh, I think that these were the faces they gave me when I told them that you were going to have to listen to me speak today. I think they felt your pain. Um, so um, anyway, so they send their regards. Um, I wanted to, um, yeah, 11 years, September 2016, uh, 2006, um, we uh, entered into a relationship, and uh, it has been uh, such an overwhelming blessing. Uh, we, you started sending people. Uh, Bobby Kim, uh, then uh, Jen Carlson, then uh, Karen Kim came and uh, uh, just blessed us. And one of Dave's earliest conversations, okay, Bobby's coming, what do you need? And I had to look at him and say, this is the first time ever. And I don't even think you, you say these things in ministry because I was such a newbie. I was like, we need money. And uh, do you know that your church uh, has given nearly... A quarter of a million dollars towards GRIP in the last 11 years. And that doesn't include the 35 or so families that have individually partnered with us, that have been called to partner with us over the years and given. Amazing. Now, I know you're thinking, well, my gosh, and we could have already bought our building with that money, right? <laughs> okay. But here, when I shared this news, Dave Breckheisen, who's our programming director, was in my office, and I, and I shared this news with him. Man, he got emotional. Tears welled up in his eyes. The only words he could muster were, and to think of all of the kids, the thousands of kids that they have fueled us to reach. Oh, Harvest Community the real deal. This is God's economy. The last time I was here, it was a while ago, but uh, I shared with you God's economy out of 2 Corinthians chapter 9 that says, when this church over here comes and, and, and blesses this community of, of, of believers, this church over here, then this church gets to share in the fruit when the gospel goes forth and thanksgiving gets lifted up. You share in the fruit. And I don't know if what you, when you see grip what you see, but our, our ministry is filled with pastors 
and, and ministry leaders that are in small local churches that could never afford to do what they do and be supported if they weren't full-time with us. Because what they do with GRIP is in parallel with what they're doing on the block and in their church. You're building up the body. You share in the fruit. Um, this is never so more so apparent. I think Frankie was here last week. For those of you that heard Frankie, I don't know if he told you or if you remember, but he was a slam kid back in 2000 when I first met him. A knucklehead running in the wrong direction. Charismatic, what a ham. Never in a million years would I have thought that he would have grown into a pastor and then a missionary to go to Iraq. God transformed him before my very eyes. And I'll tell you what, from going from save to eventually minister to, man, we went to the mountaintop. And I mean, we're talking, I've known Frankie for now 17 years. And this wasn't a fast process. But then going to be a pastor and then a, a missionary, when he told us that he was going, I said, man, you're going where? Really? What? Are you crazy? And he's like, well, it made a lot of sense to me because he started to unpack that there were these Muslims that were really upset with fundamental Muslims and they were open to talking about faith. And where else would you send a young man who's on fire to evangelize for the Lord, to build a church? So my wife and I, we said, man, we got our checkbook out. We said, we're in. We're going to pray fervently and we're giving because we're not called there. But we want to share in the fruit. We want to be on the team. And so in the same sense, you don't even know this, but you have been investing in Frankie's ministry well before he went out to Iraq. We were able to bring Frankie on as a young knucklehead onto our staff. Would have never been able to do that without the funds and the prayer that has come from this church. Not to mention the individuals. I mean, if you come and check out our table back there, you're going to see all these slick pamphlets and brochures. Right? All that printing from this church. Because somebody's been partnering with us. What a blessing. And we get to pretend that we're bigger and better than we actually are. We get to communicate well. And we got people meeting our dental needs of our staff and our kids. We have missionaries on our team that haven't been able to take their kids to the dentist for years. Those mugs aren't up there anymore. <laughs> we're shepherding. Pastor Dave has come up and, and invested in us and poured into our leadership and poured into our staff and poured into our volunteers and prayer. Now, you guys pray for us. This is, this is holistically a church partnership like none other that we've experienced at GRIP. Not only do we have mutual ministry partners here, but man, I have some deep, deep friendships that God has formed amongst us over the years. And God has used these friendships to minister to me in some of my darkest moments. Thank you, church, for being faithful. I think Paul uh, wrote the Philippians in chapter 4, and, and his words were this. He said, In the beginning of the gospel when I left Macedonia, no church entered into partnership with me, and giving and receiving, except for you alone. Excuse my emotion, but I think I can actually say honestly, I can't say it at the beginning of the gospel, because that's been going on, but I would say at the beginning of GRIP, when he called us out, when I left the business world, no church entered into partnership with me in giving and receiving, except you only. 
And your faithfulness then has spurred on so many others. Now we have churches on board and people giving like you wouldn't believe because of the encouragement that they've seen in the fruit of the ministry as a result of your giving. From our staff, from our volunteers, I don't have sufficient words to say it, but thank you. So my agenda this morning is, is quite packed. Pastor Dave just told me, he said, 1130, that's it. And I said, okay. <clears throat> so pray for me. Um, I'd like to give you a quick State of the Union for GRIP update because I want you to, I just want you to thank God during it as you're a part of it. I want you to see what God's been doing in and through us together. Then I hope to usher us into a deeper understanding of the brokenness of the least of these that we face on a daily basis. As you'll be introducing, I'll be introducing Dr. Stan Sono. He'll come up and he's going to talk about adverse childhood experiences and what science is saying about our generational sin. And then I want to introduce to you Carell Williams, who's been on our staff for a year. He's, he's the new Brian Dye, because Brian Dye discipled him. He's uh, this gifted young man who's discipling many. And uh, he's our mentorship manager. He oversees all of our male mentorship. And uh, he's going to come and, through his testimony, connect us personally to the kids at GRIP and this brokenness. And I want to do this because, it, see, it's really easy for us in church world uh, to get caught up in the secular uh, as we watch CNN and Fox News and we see this, no matter what side of the, 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 the aisle you're on, and we see all this crazy social media and we get very cynical, even as Christians. And we get judgmental. And we see problems from afar in our human nature. They all seem so easy to fix, especially when you look at a city like Chicago. And just the school system, just fix the school system. It's, it's, man, just lock up all those thugs. Just get them off the street. Let's just take the guns off the street. If we could just, and so some of these problems from afar seem so easy to solve. But then when you become more intimate with them, man, we see the complexities because we're full of complex sin. And so it's my hope that as we get broke closer, a glimpse of the brokenness that we might get a clearer sense of our brokenness. So I'd like to start off this GRIP State of the Union, if that's okay with you, uh, with a video. Could we do that? And uh, I think the video speaks much better than I do. So if we could just take a quick look. The mission of GRIP the School is to recruit volunteers from local churches and equip them to serve under-resourced Chicago public schools on a practical level in order to walk life on life with students. We do this by connecting volunteers as teacher aides, admin support, assisting in sports and music lessons, and leading after-school programs such as debate and chess clubs, while hosting prayer meetings and supporting student-led Bible studies. You know, our, our kids seem to just respond really well to GRIP people from GRIP. Um, GRIP does a good job of getting volunteers that are actually, you know, engaging and interesting and they want to talk to our kids. Um, our kids sometimes don't always get, like, that sort of feedback from adults where they have someone who's, like, excited just to see them. The majority of our students come from a lot of trauma. Um, there is a lack of guidance at home. It's not your normal, ideal um, family structure. 
And I feel that GRIP provides that guidance. Um, some of the students that they work with who would have dropped out otherwise have decided to stay in school and get their high school diploma. As a teacher, there's just one of me, and then often in my classrooms I'll have 30, 31, 32, and GRIP volunteers make really personal connections and relationships with students. Then learning becomes personal, um, and there's somebody there that cares for them, and it carries outside of the classroom. If I had to describe my relationship with Chica in one word, it would be awesome. <laughs> She's great. <laughs> We do a lot about my college stuff. Like she helped me with my applications, my personal statements. She like advised them, edited them for me. Um, I remember we were going over college applications, and she was saying that she was not smart enough to be a nurse. Um, and I'm a nurse, and I was like, "Yo, you can do anything. Like you shouldn't limit yourself. If you work hard and if you apply yourself, you can do anything." To me, like I had to like really like instill the the idea that. Nothing is impossible. She always tell me, you're beautiful, you're strong, you can do it. Like, she always encouraged me to do better, so. This is more like a lifelong thing. Um, I want to always be that person who she can depend on. We know that we have a dependable organization, a group of caring individuals, a group of supportive individuals who will be there for students, not just in the classroom or not just in the hallways or at lunchtime, but a group of individuals who are truly committed to walking life on life with students. While our mentors are serving the needs of Chicago public schools each week, our ultimate goal is for them to build life on life relationships with students that extend outside the walls of the school. No, I didn't have my dad with me. My mom was basically my dad and my father all my life. It was horrible because it's like I'm missing half of my life. Somebody like, because I wouldn't, I don't think I would have been in this position right now if it wasn't, if my dad was like always in me. Because I would love to, I would love to hear the word, the voice, daddy, little girl. It's just I never heard that word before. Never had that experience. It was tough. Talking about my dad. The first time I met Carla was in our sophomore geometry class. My relationship with Amy is not a relationship like I told her, it's a bond that we have. She's like the big sister that I could have when I was younger. Strong love. So it's like we have a strong love together. Carla and I have, we have a fun relationship. Um, we kind of do a little bit of everything. Um, we go on a lot of walks, we drive around a lot, we eat food a lot. We've gone to a couple concerts, we've been to the opera. She taught me um, how to be a good person, how to forgive others, who those who hurt you too. She always guided me to, like she always the one who guided me to good things. She always guided me to the positive things. So I don't see her as a mentor, I see her as a big sister to me, like a sister, best friend. Before I used to be serious, very serious, I didn't like to smile, I didn't like to talk to the teachers. Carla, Amy's mentee, uh, last year, she would not smile, she would not participate. Uh, one year later under Amy's mentorship that she's opened up, she smiles, she's happy, she's glad to be a part of this school community. It's total night and day and I think Amy has a lot to do with that. 
Um, she has started coming to church with me, and I've seen her wrestle through really tough topics. She's reading her Bible, and she's thinking about things that God cares about, and that is huge because um, a year ago, she would have just gotten mad and not address those issues but now she's processing them she's thinking through them what god means to me is he's like i i believe he's my father even if i messed up like i can interact and have a conversation with god by praying and he will forgive me He means a lot to me because if it wasn't for him or any, if it wasn't for him to say Amy to me, I wouldn't be right here. You know, it's a dream that I get to do what I get to do with her. She's such a funny, amazing person, and to think that I get to have the opportunity to spend time with her um, through Grip. Like, if Grip was not at this school um, and didn't have their mission of life on life, I would never know her, and that's so sad to me um, because she's incredible. I always, I always thought that. When people come up to your life, it's like an angel sending it to you. So I was like, I guess that's an angel for me to hang out with somebody like her. Because like, that's like a good influence friend to hang out with. And I was like, I saw her pure heart when she came to my life. This is your ministry. This is just a tiny glimpse of what God has been doing in and through uh, us uh, together. And I wanted you to see that. Uh, and then for those of you that are not familiar uh, with us, I, I'm sorry, I have all of these cheesy slides, uh, basically for my benefit more than yours. Um, but if you're not familiar with us, uh, our mission is to break the fatherless cycle through Christ-centered life-on-life uh, -life relationships. Uh, strategically, we do this by, by going on um, uh, and attacking life on life first through prayer. Um, our, our, uh, our city, uh, and, 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 and for us, and for our mentors, and for our volunteers, because we know that we don't change hearts. Uh, like you saw, we, we see this young lady in Carla, and she's in the process. God is literally starting to change her heart, and that's God's job. And so he just orders our steps. He ushers us. He gives us the privilege to play a role in all of this. And so we start with prayer, and we ask God, what do we do? And then we get to work. And uh, what we do is we start by equipping um, an army of Christians uh, from nearly 30 to 40 uh, churches throughout the city. We have 150 adults that solely focus on walking life on life, just like you saw Amy with Carla. Uh, 150 of them choose to give up six hours a week at a minimum, and uh, we hope this moves into uh, complete life-on-life -life saturation. Uh, we offer up to 70 hours of training for our, uh, these adults. Because we can have staff like Carell, and you saw John Pendleton and Sean in the video. And then we have, a, uh, for our ladies, we have Miss Ito, and we have a Melody that will go and meet with, not only run seminars and camps uh, to train and equip our adults, but we meet with our adults face-to-face -face at least once a month because we know that if we don't encourage them, exhort them, equip them, coach them, pray for them together, they'll quit. We've just seen this over and over because this is a tough ministry. And so um, a lot of what we do is focusing on the adults. 
And so from training and equipping, we, um, we, we connect. We create connection points like in the Grip the School uh, initiative that you just saw. We also run a SLAM program, and many of you have seen uh, us bring videos of that. We hope you can come down and visit us soon. Uh, but we've connected with over 600 teens this last year uh, through our connection points. And then we, from uh, equip to connect and grow, I'm sorry, I'm not trusting it's up there. I got to look at you guys. Um, we had 132 youth in relationships like uh, you saw with Carla and Amy. We have 130 Carlas and 130 Vanitas from the video. Now, in fact, uh, our mentors spend more time with our youth outside of the program than inside of the program. That's what we call life on life. And so that's what our aim is, that our young people can see then Jesus. They can hear about Jesus. They can get in the Word of God with our adults um, to see Jesus and start to develop that relationship further. And so in our development, then what we, what we ask uh, our God to give us is strength and to see these children, to see these teens as our very own. And just all of you are here that have children and when I started coming here, you didn't have many children. Now you got a sea of children. You care about each of these areas in a young person's life, especially their spiritual development. And so that's what we're asking God to give us a burden for t- as we walk life with them, as, as we provide tools uh, with them. And so one of these core tools, as you can see, our SLAM program and our, our Grip the School initiative, these are the connection points. Uh, on the tools and, re- and training uh, side of the equation, one of those tools has been streetlights. And I don't know if you remember streetlights, but uh, we have such an illiteracy uh, brick wall that we were up against. Um, a lot of the kids that we were ministering to, half of the kids in the school we were in couldn't read beyond the fifth grade level. And so we went out and we took the scriptures, we put them word for word to hip-hop, because we were tired of not seeing fruit in the lives of our kids. Our kids don't make it if we don't get them plugged into the church and if we don't get them plugged into God's word. And so streetlights became necessary. And so we built this out. Uh, since uh, we've been able to produce and distribute uh, 18 books of the New Testament, uh, word for word scripture. Uh, in fact, it's been downloaded not only throughout the country, uh, but in over 85 countries worldwide. And in the last two months, we've been able to come out with an app, a phone app, which is an absolute game changer because in the past, you would have to download to a computer and then to a phone, and our kids don't have computers, but they have phones. And so now the gospel can come directly to their phone. Uh, In the past two months, we've seen over 12,000 downloads of our app, which is, uh, for us, uh, absolutely sensational. I guess... The success marker for a new app uh, over a six-month period is 5,000 downloads. Um, So uh, we're extremely happy, and we're getting a lot of testimonies, not only from our ministry and the kids and the adults within GRIP, but we're getting hit up all over the country and all over the world. Um, Thank you for this, because this actually helps us connect with our kids, and our kids are actually in the Word of God for the first time. Another tool that we have then uh, is our Legacy Conference, which is coming up here in Chicago in July. We hope you can visit us. 
We have over 1,800 folks come to Chicago for this Urban Discipleship Conference where we've trained over 2,200 young adults uh, and young people on urban discipleship and church planning and hermeneutical teaching and how to be a godly man and how to be a godly woman. This was Brian Dye, who you've met his baby. Uh, and uh, God has grown it to the point where we were able to go out to Los Angeles and do a one-day event out there uh, because we have so many people in our context that can't afford the plane ticket to get to Chicago. See, we're in the urban church building context. And so we, have, we started with a one-day. Uh, this, this year we're going to do a two-day in L.A. and then a, a one-day in Houston. We're going to build those out to full conferences, go to Atlanta and then New York so that Anyone could literally hop in a car and within several hours uh, potentially get fed and built up and equipped in this context. So all of our connection points and our tools and training all lead uh, to life on life. Everything we do is to support life on life. Um, this is what we've been about, and this is what you've been sharing in. As I've shared at our recent gala, uh, one thing is for certain. Each of these areas are, are busting at the seams with growth. So it's definitely not time to take the foot off the gas pedal. We believe God has a lot more work for us left to do. Uh, in fact, this year, we have to raise another 150 volunteers uh, for our SLAM program. Uh, we have been being pursued by schools. Please come. And we just haven't had the capacity. This year, we're going to step out in faith. We're going we're gonna to bring on board some new staff so we can take on another West Side school. Our Streetlights program, we're going to continue to build out uh, the rest of the New Testament this year, and another curriculum box set for youth leaders and teachers uh, in our context to be able to leverage that. And we're going to continue to expand that legacy conference to Houston. See, in addition to that, uh, we know that we have a hole in our, and a big need in our model, and that's to get young people jobs. Because most of them, many of them, are not ready for school yet. And so they might not ever be. Uh, but we need to get them jobs and apprentices, apprenticeships and internships. And this year we tried an experiment with group alternatives. Uh, at least over the past year and a half or so, they've taken on five of our students. And it has been a tremendous success. They've taken them in at great expense to their profitability and their time. And they actually built them up in how to work and how to build a resume and how to manage time. And what does it look like uh, to have a vision for a career? And um, we hope to continue building out with Christian business owners. So may, hopefully many of you in this room uh, will be able to take on uh, a student or two in the future um, as we look to get kids jobs and, and develop that career path with them. This is our next year. And so we ask for prayer uh, from you uh, for this. So as we're growing, I'm going to ask Harvest, as Dave said, we're married. That, that means that there's no divorce, Okay. So what we're going to ask is, please don't take your foot off the gas pedal. It's not that season. Don't stop praying. Don't stop giving. And don't stop serving us. We are ever so blessed. And I can honestly say this. I don't think that we at GRIP have a deeper, more holistic partnership than here with you. Now I'll be available after the service uh, to answer questions about this. But now I wanted to bring on Dr. Stan Sonu. Um, he's a doctor of internal medicine and pediatrics. He's a fellow of preventative medicine and public health at Cook County, which basically means he rocks. 
And uh, he's been a part of our family. His wife was on staff with us uh, for several years. And uh, I think it was uh, up until recently, though, that uh, God has really uh, moved his heart uh, as he's been uh, in this area of uh, specialty and study. And so I wanted him to come and share with us. Uh, good morning, everybody. It's great to be here. Um, let me get situated. Uh, as Scott said, um, I am currently at Cook County. And uh, um, it's been, uh, prior to that, I was at Rush, which is right across the street, uh, if you're familiar with the area. And I have to say, Cook County has. Uh, so broadened my perspective on healthcare and the needs of of the community in 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 that context in Chicago. So I hope I can convey some of that uh, this morning. Uh, let me start as I kind of I, I have ten minutes. Let me start by sharing a quick story. Um, in the 1980s, there was a physician out in San Diego, California. His name was Dr. Vincent Felitti. And he was running a weight loss clinic for men and women. And it actually was, for a time, really successful. A lot of men men and women were coming, and they were losing weight and keeping it off. Uh, But over the period of about five years, he he picked up on a really troubling pattern. For reasons unknown to him, despite having the weight off and keeping it off, many men and women were leaving the clinic unexplained. So baffled by this, he decided he would conduct a series of interviews with as many people as he could. And it turns out it was through one woman's story that he, he sort of stumbled upon a surprising phenomenon. While in the clinic, this woman went from 400 pounds down to 130 and then, uh, and then just disappeared for two months. When she returned to the clinic two months later, she had regained 40 pounds. And, and so when interviewed, she shared that at work one day, an older gentleman, a co-worker, uh, actually hit on her, uh, made a, made a solicit, you know, he asked her out on a date. He propositioned her. And, and that solicitation triggered these long-buried memories of when she was sexually abused as a child by her grandfather. It was in, it, in her youth was when she started eating increasing amounts of food daily. And so it turns out that for this woman, after this proposition by an older co-worker, which triggered her to eat again, uh, for this woman, eating and gaining weight was actually her way of, of protecting herself and going unnoticed from other potential predators. Dr. Felitti went on to discover that almost 60% of the patients who left the clinic had similar stories of abuse. And so the big aha moment was the realization that what was, what was seen by the medical system as the problem, obesity, being overweight, uh, lack of physical activity, poor diet, you name it. What was seen as the problem for us was for them uh, their solution to a different problem that happened much earlier. Well, these findings led uh, Dr. Felitti and his team to ask the question, well, hey, what other behaviors, healthy or not, do, do we adopt to cope with these traumatic events that have happened in childhood? And then how do these behaviors that we choose affect our health in adulthood? And so these questions were brought together in a study called the Adverse Childhood Experiences, or ACEs study. 
And this was a this was a CDC sponsored Kaiser, CDC and Kaiser sponsored joint effort, a landmark public health study, which I hope you'll you'll, uh, you'll see in a second. But what the CDC discovered, I believe, is is highly relevant uh, to what GRIP is all about, and, and it lays a sort of a foundation uh, for it as well. So researchers surveyed over seventeen thousand adults, seventeen thousand adults about their history of childhood trauma, which we call Adverse Childhood Experiences, or ACEs for short. And these ACEs spanned 10 different categories across three domains of abuse, neglect, and household disturbance or, or dysfunction. They asked questions like, were you ever sexually abused? Was anybody in your house ever so drunk or too high that they couldn't take care of you? Were you often or very often hit so hard that it left a mark, bruised, or broke a bone? They were stunned to discover that in this mostly white, mostly educated, mostly middle-class population, that ACEs were incredibly common. 64% of this pretty affluent participant group, 64% had at least one ACE or more. I mean, that's almost two out of every third person in this room. They also found that the more ACEs a person has, the higher risk they would be for poor health outcomes or unhealthy behaviors in adulthood. Let me break this down. If you have four of any of these, you'd have an ACE score of four. And with an ACE score of four, you'd have over a 700% greater risk of something like alcoholism compared to someone else with an ACE score of zero. For lung disease, four times. For heart disease, two times. In fact, ACEs are associated with seven out of the ten leading causes of death in the United States. Now, to add some more perspective... Drug companies, you see that line? Drug companies will invest you know, billions of dollars to develop drugs, to treat conditions with factors way less than two. On a different, in a different industry, public health, we pull the trigger for things like secondhand smoke and the risk of lung cancer by banning smoking in public places when that confers a 30% greater risk of lung cancer. I, I point those out just to say, not, not to diminish the, the importance of, enact, you know, uh, smoking in public spaces or the work that drug companies do, not to diminish that work, but what's being done to, to one, prevent ACEs from happening, and two, prevent the consequences brought on by ACEs. The irony is, I didn't learn about this topic until my last year in residency, my fourth year in training, and I got to say, when I found out, I was, I was so mad. I was livid. This is something I should have learned on my first day of medical school. Now, most shocking, they found that a person with six or more ACEs has a life expectancy that drops from 80 to 60, a, a difference of 20 years. Now, let that sink in for a second. So how is all this happening? Well, in the last 20 to 30 years, there's been a convergence in medicine, uh, neuroscience, neurobiology, and early childhood development, all on understanding the brain. And, and to put it simply, toxic uh, adverse childhood experiences, ACEs, cause toxic stress. And toxic stress is, is not just regular stress, but it's the kind of stress that can actually stunt the, the growth and development of the brain. Now, this is a CT scan of two three-year-old children. And the, and the child on the left was raised under a, in, a, in a loving, healthy environment whereas the child on the right was raised under conditions of extreme neglect in an orphanage. And 
you can appreciate the size difference there. Now, the most common effect of toxic stress is on brain function. Brain function. You see, toxic stress causes overactivity of the part of the brain that regulates fight or flight, while it shuts down or or leads to underactivity of the part of the brain that regulates self-control, planning for the future, reasoning, um, empathy and compassion, and impulsivity. Now, impulsivity, this has real-life implications for what's happening in Chicago. Because research out of the crime lab in, in the University of Chicago has found that when it comes to homicides and gun violence in Chicago, there is a disturbing formula. Often, it involves young men, plus a disagreement, plus an impulsive action with a gun around, which leads to a dead body. Again, impulsivity is controlled. We're talking about it because it's controlled by the part of the brain that is dramatically, significantly affected with toxic stress. So think about that six-year-old child in Chicago whose father's in prison, mother abuses drugs, mother has a boyfriend who abuses her, and a family member was just shot and killed. Think about the child in, in Schomburg, whose father may be an alcoholic and abuses mom, whose mother may have a serious mental illness and, uh, and, and maybe emotionally neglecting the child. That, so for both of those children, that's four aces right there. Long-term toxic stress without any end in sight, no light at the end of the tunnel. The statistics we know are working against both of them. But here's the thing. We all know that not everybody who, who's experienced trauma in their childhood is doomed to these consequences. I mean, we all know people in our lives who have made it. It may be you, despite or against the odds. So, so what is it about the people who are able to, to be resilient and live a healthy, adjusted life despite having high numbers of ACEs? Well, Research out of Harvard and and many other institutions has found that the single most important factor, the single most important factor for promoting resilience is a loving and stable relationship with an adult. It's not programming. It's not medication. It's not therapy. It's not cutting-edge technology. It is simply the consistent presence of a loving and caring adult. And, And that's why I'm here right now, because that's what GRIP does. But it's not only what GRIP does, it's what we in the church should do. In, you know, we're in this gener- we are the, arguably the most relationally impoverished generation than ever before. And in light of that, you know, this data is saying, no, no. The, the one, the, the single most important factor that can alter the trajectory of ACEs and toxic stress is a relationship. And people of God, we know that. Now, I'll close with this. Many of the youth involved with GRIP already have already uh, experienced tremendous amounts of adversity. You know, not just the aces that we talked about, but poverty, educational, economic, um, disadvantage, violence, racism, structural systemic racism. And and as we'll hear from Corel next uh, and Scott later on, uh, the issue of fatherlessness. Thank you so much. Thank you. Um, isn't, it, um, isn't it great to see that science is trying to catch up with God? Right? This is why God calls us out, right, to, to 
defend uh, what to to defend four groups of people uh, throughout history from Old Testament to New. You can you can kind of see the woven uh, care uh, that our loving Father has for the immigrant, the sojourner, uh, the the poor, uh, the the widow, and of course the orphan or the fatherless. And He commands us to go and defend them. And um, and so then. I wanted you to hear that, and I wanted you to hear Carell's testimony, and, um, and we'll have to come back and have you hear his testimony, uh, because our kids are dealing with ACEs scores from 6 to 8. That's our best guesstimate, like, on, on average. Um, and so every single one of our kids are gravely at risk, but we know what the solution is. So I wanted to come here to thank you for partnership. And encourage you because you share in this fruit. And I wanted to encourage you to continue to give generously. And I wanted to introduce to you, you Dr. Stan so we could hear about this brokenness that the world is just starting to understand. But we know it as our, our messiness. See, the solution is Jesus. We know it. And us in this room, it's good. And it's simple. It's the gospel. That's the answer. You want the bad news? Well, God chooses his bride, us, through whom which he works through. Messy, complex, full of sin. See, it only takes one aces to mess you up. It only, because we know we all have it. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. We, in our nature, inherently carry sin from our parents. We all have it. Science can say it's aces. We know what it is. It's our sin. We need the church to press into this battle. And me and my role, I get the opportunity to go and talk to uh, hundreds of of men uh, from churches, not only the Chicagoland area, the suburbs, but from all over. And when I meet with them, my very first, now these are mostly Christians, and my very first question is, how are you doing with Jesus? They're like, whoa, wait a second. How are you doing with Jesus? You're saved in the church. How are you doing with Jesus? And I ask this question because no other question matters more. And so if you're in this place today and you look at this and you can identify with some of these hurts and pains from your past, I want you to think through this. You might be in the camp of, man, I'm doing great with Jesus. I get that sometimes. Praise the Lord. Man, we had a great morning uh, and I'm, I'm fueled up to share the gospel today. I can't wait. But most of the time, that's not the response. It's, it's most of the time it's like, oh. So if you're in that camp and you're on fire for the Lord, would you gently usher the rest of us with you? Because we need you. Shine brightly. If you're like me in this last week, I had this, had this week where I find myself, after 20 years of walking with the Lord, I find myself in this place of, doing all of these things, these good things, just out of vacation. Here I am uh, a a week or two into it, and boom, 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 and all of these things kind of hitting. And I find myself doing all of these things and then trying to find time to fit in my first love, time with the Lord, and then time to love others. Instead of the thing being my time with the Lord, and loving others, and then fitting all of these really good things in. 
That's where I've been. See, as a Christian, walking with the Lord for 20 years, I do this, and I'm like, man, I'm, how did I get back in this place? Is this you? This could be you. Because I'm like, man, I'm tired of this. Well, how did I get back here? Exhausted in my own strength. And I realized it's my pride. See, I'm forgetting the gospel, my first love. This is why Paul prayed so often. He didn't pray for our, 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 our new house. He didn't pray for our healing. Paul prayed over and over again in the epistles. I pray that you are strengthened with power to comprehend. I pray that you are strengthened with power through the Holy Spirit. That you would be rooted and grounded in Christ. That you would have the strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth, the length, the height, and the depth to know the love of Christ. That it comes out of our knowing his love for us. You can't separate that from the gospel. So the reason these things don't work out this way and relationally is because I'm not getting filled up. My, on my best days, and I think I've shared this with you, Paul. On my best days, I sit with the Lord and I get to get into his word. And because it says, right, blessed is the man who does not seek counsel from the wicked, nor stand in the way of sinners, nor sit in the seat of scoffers. But his delight is in the law of the Lord. And on his law, he meditates day and night. He's like a tree planted by the stream, yields its fruit in its season, and all he does, he prospers. Why does God command us to meditate on him? Because he wants us to know him. He wants us to know, get a, just a sliver of a glimpse of the love that he has for us. Did you hear Frankie last week? I got a glimpse. Oh, he wept for two hours. Oh, that's what, now from that place, Today, Lord, let me share the gospel because you've rocked my world. You brought me from death to life. You, the power of your forgiveness did this in my life. If this is you, come back to the gospel. So you could be on fire for the Lord. You could be stuck like I have been. Or you might be looking at this and you might be completely sidelined, saved, but sidelined. Not in the battle at all. Watching people die and perish before us. Or, or, or better yet, even watching others bear fruit. Because of the past sin and aces that have happened to us. My wife, she, she wanted me to share this. Uh, grew up, and if you know my story, I struggled with lust all my life as a child. From age 11 to 18, filled my mind with pornography. Operate out of lust, bound me on the throne. My wife grew up sexually abused almost through her entire childhood by the uncle of the family that took her to school every day. And her pain and hurt, see, sin begets sin. Her aces begets more sin in her life. She started putting up walls of protection. Got saved. Was in church, got saved as a a 13-year-old, in church, walking with the Lord on one hand, and man, having a life of promiscuity on the other hand. And she would pursue love from all the wrong places and try to protect her heart, not letting anything penetrate it. And she would bring men up to the brink of sexual intimacy. Would they protect me this time? Who will protect me? Who will love me that much and value me that much? And each one of them would fail, and she'd dump them and move on to the next. 
This was her life all the way up into her 20s. Until she realized that she had somebody like you who loved the Lord that would love her unconditionally and keep on hammering her with the gospel. How much God loves you or how much God loved her and how much God forgives her. See, it wasn't until she realized as she's unpacking this that she had a part of her heart because of the aces or the sin in her life that she would not let God enter. The walls went up. Self-preservation, right? Self-protection, self-centeredness. This is, right, the other coin of pride. You got lust on one hand, and then you got fear on the other hand. And so many times we operate out of fear. I asked men, so did you share the gospel today? Right? How are you doing with Jesus? Did you share the gospel today? Well, today? How about this week? Well, this, this month? This year? When have you explicitly shared the gospel with somebody who was lost? We don't do this because most of the time we're either operating in lust or fear and we got these walls up. It wasn't until my wife realized that she was angry at God. You ain't coming in here. Where were you when I was being abused? How come you didn't protect me? Was I not worthy enough of your love? Until, until by God's grace, she received a greater, deeper understanding of the gospel. See, we think that we, we get saved, we get the gospel, and like, and the gospel is like the, yeah, it's the preschool and the kindergarten of our Christian faith. It is. It's the foundation, right? But have you heard it said that it's also the junior high, the high school, the bachelor's degrees. The gospel is the master's and the PhD. It, we cannot comprehend it because it's God's love for us. And we're here going, show us a little glimpse more of your love. Just a glimpse, Lord. Because we can't take it all. We can't handle it. But man, when it, we allow the gospel to penetrate our hearts, man, those walls come down. And she was able to hear, I was with you every step of the way. Mourning with you because I love you. See, in, in oh man, I'm, I'm going to be over time. See, this is why Paul writes uh, in, 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 into the Corinthian church about suffering in our affliction. That, that we suffer and we get comforted from the comforter through the gospel. So that, it says, we can go out and comfort those who are in affliction. All kinds of affliction. And so it took a while for my wife to understand that not only did God love her, but he had built her to be his ambassador, his priest, his daughter his representative, to go out now and to minister the gospel to those that are sexually abused and hurting. So whether you're on fire for the Lord or whether you're uh, in this place like I am in, operating in this pride of I can control all this and not forgetting your first love again or whether you're so bound up that you're sidelined and useless in doing what God built you to do to share the gospel. Man, I so wanted to tell you guys we're going to load up a couple of, uh, of buses and we were going to go to Woodfield today to share the gospel. And then we're going to take the other half of you and send you to the houses over here and knock on doors to share 
the gospel and to pray with people. And I know some of you in this room, by God's grace, would be like, yes, let's go. And then maybe others would be like, whoa, that's not what I do. (laughs) Fear. What will they think? I'll be one of those crazy nut jobs. Man, when you walk into Woodfield Shopping Mall, people are perishing there. My best day, it's like when, when Jesus fed the disciples in chapters, or fed the 5,000 on the hillside. He didn't, I read, I love this, John chapter 6, if you get a chance, read it. He didn't feed the people to feed the people. Because the next day they came to him and said more. And he said, no, 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 you, you want my stuff, not me. You must eat of my flesh, drink of my blood, man. They, whoo, gone. But the 12, where are we going to go? Because they got to see that from nothing, then they got to go and serve it. Baskets full. Holy, this is, he's, he's splitting this up and, and, and more is coming out and we're feeding, we're feeding 5,000 men and how many women? It's endless. He did that for them. So that they can see that God fills us up, the bread of life. What did they have left over? How many disciples were there? Twelve. How many baskets full were left over? Twelve. The bread of life. It just, my best days is when we get to sit with the Lord and I don't have enough of them. And I let the word of God, I meditate on it just like his word. Long enough so that I get to dialogue with him because he's my dad. And we forget just like our own children. We were made in his image, a dad and a son. My children run up and just want to touch me sometimes. And you know what? As dad, it brings me joy. And when they ask me a question about wisdom, dad, what about this? Ah, oh, I get to speak wisdom into my child. This is so sweet. This is how God is with us. My best days are when I realize that and I sit with him and I talk to him about his love for me because I'm reading it in his word. And I get his word in me so much that I, now I'm so full that it's overflowing just like these baskets of bread. And I get to carry out and give it away. Who can I meet today to share what God has shared with me? Do you see that picture? We got to go to our first love and get filled up with him so that our cup overflows into the lives around us, our, our spouses and our children. We can't wait at, at the grocery store to meet somebody that is hurting like me or like I was out of the overflow. So if you're in that camp, would you reconsider the gospel? Would you take another look at it and receive it? For the creator of the universe that created us came down and got punished by us, his creation, because he loves you so much. And he forgave all of your junk, all of your aces, all of your sin, to make you a son and an inheritor, to make you an ambassador, a priest, to make you his representative and a full partner in what he's doing here on earth. We need you in the game. We need you in the battle. Would you visit the gospel again? Thanks for listening to the sermon from Harvest Community Church. If you would like more information or have any questions or comments, 
check out our website at harvest-community.org. Thanks for listening.